Hey there, this is Zach Galligan, also known as Billy from Gremlins, and you are about to listen to a movie review by three gremlins and a flick. Well, okay, it's three guys and a flick. Anyway, I hope the rest of you guys enjoys the flick. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. First of all, keep him out of the light. He hates bright light, especially sunlight. It'll kill him. Second, don't give him any water, not even to drink. But the most important rule, the rule you can never forget, no matter how much he cries, no matter how much he begs, never feed him after midnight. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, the holiday classic, Gremlins. Beware spoilers. Coming to you from an antique shop in Chinatown, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. How you doing? And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hello, everybody. You okay there, guy? Uh, in the immortal words of Cameron, I'm feeling shredded. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. And listeners, if you're not sure what movie that is, I will give you a clue. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I would have thought the clue was Cameron, but what do I know? I would have sung Just Let My People Go. Oh, nice, nice. Tonight is the third week in our holiday extravaganza, and we are going to talk about Gremlins. This was John's pick, and I will say it for a third week. Listeners, we don't have any holiday movies in the Bronco Helmet, so we're left to our own devices. What the frick? Yeah. Frick, would you have a new resolution going on there, buddy? No. Okay. I'm just checking to see if you're okay. What the fuck? fuck? Well, I I think that's more funny, but that's just me. Hey, uh, John, why Gremlins? Well, you can't think of Christmas without thinking of dark comedy, horror, little creatures running around, greedy for whatever they can get their hands on. I mean, come on. That just says holiday movie to me. Yeah, or more specifically, Christmas movie. Yeah, uh, but to be honest, uh, I don't know. Just something about Gremlins. I know that it takes place, you know, around Christmas time. It Gizmo was a Christmas present to Billy, um, and whenever I think back to this movie, it just brings back fond memories of just a movie I really enjoyed watching when I was younger. Released on June eighth, nineteen eighty four, Gremlins was directed by Joe Dante. Written by Chris Columbus, and it stars Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Hoyt Axton, Francis Lee McCain, Polly Holiday, Corey Feldman, Mushroom, and a bunch of other gremlins. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $11 million and brought in $213 million. So this movie coming out in 1984... Which, by the way, gentlemen, this makes our fifth 1984 movie. What are the other four that we've reviewed? Ghostbusters. That's one of them. Um, I will give you a clue. Okay. You have a poster of it on your wall. In 1984? Oh. <laughs> Shame on you, comic book guy. Shame on you. And you still don't know what it is. Oh, I'm and looking at it, I think. That, that didn't answer my question. Nightmare on Elm Street. 
That's yep. true. Okay. Uh, the other two, one is an action movie. Oh, you motherfucker. All right. Well, give me a clue to that one because he's not going to know. Wolverines. Oh, Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And the last one. My clue is um, it is something that we have frequently mused about over various shows and it comes up every once in a while and we will say a phrase that was said during the pod and we giggle about it oh for fuck's sakes Uh, um we it's a phrase we say and we giggle about it it was a phrase that john said and yeah i know where this one's going that was 84 as well yeah. The natural? The natural. So we have the natural, Ghostbusters, Red Dawn, and... Fucking Nightmare on Elm Street. Jesus criminy. What the hell? You got to give this movie credit for still making $213 million competing against those movies. So at the time that it came out, for that year, it made $148 million. And I think that we've talked about what a big year... I think it was 84 that we talked about what a big year it was because when it came out, it came out with five of the top 10 grossing movies were in the theater at the time. So for the fact that it came in at number three is seriously impressive. The other thing that's really impressive about this movie is it had fucking 16 weeks in the top 10. Oh, 16 sure. weeks. Yeah. The movie that uh, eclipsed it was Ghostbusters. That was the number one. And for the first six weeks, they were tied at numbers one and two. Well, outside of Gremlins being a great movie, uh, and at the time, having Spielberg's name at the top as soon as the I think credits roll, I think that, I think is that has a little bit to do with it, I right? Do, I do, too. Yeah. And, and by the way, Ghostbusters was 20, 20 weeks in the top ten. Yeah. So the top ten movies... Number one, Ghostbusters. Two, Temple of Doom. Three, Gremlins. Four, Beverly Hills Cop. Number five is Karate Kid. Six is Police Academy. Seven is Footloose. Eight is Star Trek. Three, nine is Romancing the Stone. And ten is Purple Rain. Holy fucking shit. I will just say this. Outside of what was before Romancing the Stone? Star Trek. Three. After Romancing the Stone? Number ten, Purple Rain. Oh. I kind of like Romancing the Stone. I was going to say Outside Romancing the Stone. It's a fun movie. That's a fucking solid top ten. Out of any decade. Mm-hmm. And, Solid. And, and kiddos, for those of you that like, what are, what are those movies? And you haven't heard of half of them type of thing. Well, back in the day, I'll, I'll tell you that, that these were monumentally huge hits. And as I stated, this movie is competing against five other movies that land in the top 10 for that year. So this this was a really big movie. I'd say there's several of them on that list that would be in my top 10 for that decade, for the entire 80s. Uh, that's that's a bold statement, though I, I see I see why. Uh, 86 is also the year we talk about a lot. So 84 and 86. Before we go any farther, I do want to mention that we got a Christmas present this week. Oh, yes. Yes, we did. Uh, John, would you like to share with the listeners what exactly we got? Three Guys in a Flick. When we first started this podcast, we were thinking that we would be lucky if we ever saw 1,000, 2,000, maybe 5,000 downloads. You know, because we were just doing this for us, having some fun, kind of getting the word out, you know, through word of mouth, posted on social media a little bit here and there, uh, you know, just doing the podcast for fun. And so we never thought we would, you know, 
get a lot of attention. As of this week, we just hit 50,000 downloads. Congratulations! What the fuck? That's awesome. I know. I am I'm very thankful this year to all of our listeners. You know what? So am I. And thank you to everybody who has listened and passed us on. Without you, we wouldn't get 50,000 downloads. Yeah, so here's to the next 50,000. Congratulations! Let's talk about Joe Dante, who directed this movie. I, uh, I was surprised how many other movies that I knew about him, but he was mostly really big in the 80s. Uh, he did... He did The Burbs, he directed Inner Space, Explorers, Twilight Zone, the movie. And, af- and after that, it's, well, he didn't do a whole bunch after that. Uh, by the time we got to the 2000s, he pretty much just does mostly TV shows. Yeah, but, I mean, he did do Small Soldiers. Did you ever see that with Tommy yeah. Lee Jones? Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he did that. Or a classic in my house when Keenan was growing up was Looney Tunes back in action with Brendan Fraser. And, I remember you know, that. When they mixed the live action. Um, but yeah, other than that, he kind of goes into TV, but, uh, out of the ones that you mentioned, uh, the burbs and inner space jump out to me. And I remember the burbs mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed inner space, mm-hmm. Dennis Quaid, Martin Short, Meg Ryan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good one. When, uh, Steven Spielberg first decided to produce this movie, originally there was no plans to make this movie until he came along. Uh, do you know who he originally thought to have direct this? George Lucas. No. Tim Burton. Oh, I, I remember hearing something about that. I think it would have been an interesting to see what Tim Burton would have done with this movie. Or what did you think it would have ended up a lot like Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure? I think it would have looked like what um, all of his films look like. Frank would, and Weenie. Yeah, it, it would have a very Tim Burton-y vibe to it. Uh, you can definitely feel Spielberg's hand on the pulse of this project. And mm-hmm. I think them going with Joe Dante was so much more of a better decision because what we got was fun, uh, dark, but not too dark. And it, it turned into a classic, right? I think in Tim Burton's hands, it I don't think it becomes what it does. Well, I thought it was interesting, too, what I read was there was a few things in this movie that... Uh, the people who were financing it wanted out of the movie. And Spielberg even went to Joe Dante and said, hey, let's remove like the part where uh, Phoebe Cates talks about her father, you know, dying. And thing. They, they thought that was too dark. And they wanted it removed from the, media, uh, the movie. And Joe Dante said, I want it to ke- be kept in the movie. And Spielberg had his back and said, okay, if you want it, it stays in. Yeah, you have to trust the audience. You have to trust the people that you're making this film for. So let's talk a little bit about Chris Columbus. What do you know him more for, for his writing or for his directing? I think Chris Columbus, I know for his directing. Uh, he does. I think, I, I think I'm the same way. Yeah, he does Harry Potter. He does Home Alone. Uh, there was another one he did that I was surprised that he did. He, what was well, he did Home Alone 1 and 2, didn't he? Yes, probably. He did yeah. both Home Alone. And I think uh-huh. he does the first two Harry Potters. No, he, he does, he does uh, the first and the third one. Wait, no. No, uh, no, it is the second one. Yeah, because yeah, the there's Chamber a, of Secrets. Yeah, because there's a, a Spanish director that takes over for the third one. Which, man, someday I'd love to unpack that movie. So he also directed Adventures in Babysitting and Mrs. Doubtfire. But uh, his writing credits, uh, he, he does Gremlins, Goonies, Young Sherlock Holmes, Gremlins 2, Christmas with the Cranks, 
And the the last one, I was like, oh, really? Which I haven't seen yet, which is the Christmas Chronicles Part 2. So, yeah, you have a lot of talented people at the helm of this production, Spielberg, Dante, Columbus. So, obviously, casting has to be perfect. And speaking of the cast, Zach Galligan, what did you guys think of this guy as our protagonist? I thought for his, I think this was his first big movie break. I thought he did a fairly good job in it. I mean, the acting isn't you know, stupendous in this movie, but for being this dark comedy that doesn't seem to take itself too seriously, he fit right in. I thought he was fine. I was surprised that I never really saw him again. The only, yeah. the only place that I know him to be in is, is Gremlins. Yeah, pretty much. Me too. I know he's done other stuff, right, obviously, right, right. but he's probably most well known for Gremlins. I thought he was good. I think the only thing I was wondering, is he out of high school? Well, if he's got a day job at a bank. But it is the holiday season. He could be on break. I got the impression he was just out of high school, that he was kind of figure out what he was going to do. That That's kind of what I got to, which I guess fine, whatever. But Well, they got to be a, a little bit older. Beca- and, yeah, Because be- Kate, Kate, she she's working in a, in a bar. Uh, speaking of Kate, what did you guys think of Phoebe Cates? She was sweet in this. And, you know, this is probably where she shines. This, and, well, you know, she's also well-known for, for Fast Times at Ridgemont yeah. High, but, you know, I think this is probably where she shines. This was a tough casting, apparently. Uh, they were worried that her reputation from Fast Times and from that scene that we all know about, uh, she wouldn't fit in as that wholesome character, but I thought she did a great job. She actually helped Zach get the job. Oh, well, did she? Not intentionally, but... Uh, Zach was so goo-goo-gaga over her that um, when he was doing his lines with her, when they were uh, trying to figure out if they're going to cast him or not, Spielberg even mentioned, look, he's already in love with her. It works. And so that's one of the reasons why he got the job. I probably saw Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, I was just going to say, fuck, I was in love with her. Mm-hmm. I Who wasn't back I, then? I was in love. Uh, Phoebe Cates was one of my all-time crushes mm-hmm. growing up. And again, how could she not? And she's still just as cute. Oh. She's beautiful. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. What about the rest of the cast? I know there's a lot of actors that we'd seen, um, and you go, oh, it's that guy or, or it's that woman. You know what I mean? The dad. What did you guys think of the guy who played the dad? I remember when he was just singing music. Have oh, you ever we- heard some of his songs? He did a lot of country kind of folk music. Do I look like I listen to country music? No. Okay. Thanks, Ken. I'm sure I probably have heard it because he's so recognizable, mm-hmm. you know. And he did a lot of TV and a lot yeah, of... Yeah, it was a lot of TV. I couldn't place him from anywhere. I, I was surprised to see that he has 97 soundtrack credits on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Wow. Key, Key Luke, the guy who played the, uh, the... The little kid? No. Oh, no. Yeah. He, he's the grandfather in, in, the, uh, in the shop. Right. I was surprised when I was looking into him. It's like, God, he, he's a dead ringer for uh, the television series Kung Fu. I was thinking, is that the same guy? And then I kept thinking, well, am I is. being racist? And it is. Okay, so I'm good. I'm not racist because he sounded just like the same guy because I used to love that series, Kung Fu. I watched it with my dad all the time. But interestingly enough, he's got over 200 acting credits. So he's been in a lot of stuff. I'm sure I've seen him in other things. Yeah, me too. Corey Feldman, one of his earliest roles. Yeah, and uh, according to, I think it was the director... He was the best child actor he's ever worked with. Jerry, Jerry Goldsmith. Goldsmith. I knew that's exactly where you were going next. Yeah. Classic, man. Alien. Mm-hmm. 
right? I mean, he's done some of the fucking classics. Yeah. Do you know uh, that little tune that Gizmo sings? He wrote that and then went to his synagogue, found a 13-year-old girl, and that's who sings it, a girl from his synagogue. A girl from Gizmo's synagogue went and sang From Jerry's. Oh, Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, he went to his synagogue, got a 13-year-old to sing Gizmo's song. Nice. So another kind of star of this movie is the scenery, the setting, the town that it is filmed in. Did that look familiar to you? Yeah, that's the back lot at Universal. And what other movie was that specific town used for? Oh, it was probably used for a lot, but the one that you were referring to and keep trying us to bite into, uh, Back to the Future. Yeah, so if you look closely, it's the same same town, but snowy. Yeah, yeah. But it came out before Back to the Future. You are 100% correct there, Professor. So I guess when you watch Back to the Future... You have to say, oh, look, that's the town from Gremlins, right? Right. By your rationale? Yep. What's a better movie? Back to the Future. Comic book guy, what's a better movie? I have to go with Back to the Future. Then what the fuck are we talking about? So originally, I didn't realize this, but I always thought this movie was meant to be kind of like a horror slash comedy with more focus on the campiness. They originally planned for this to be a full-scale, dark horror movie. Have you read some of the scenes that they cut out of the script? No. Uh, One of them was Billy's mother was supposed to die in the struggle with the gremlins. And when Billy came home, the gremlins were going to throw her head down the stairs at him. Pete, who was played by Corey Feldman, he was supposed to be killed early on in the script and would be eaten alive by the gremlins while a group of Christmas carolers drowned out his screams. Another one was Gizmo was supposed to be the villain of the movie. He was supposed to turn into Stripe. And that was basically going to be the whole plot line is that Gizmo goes on to kill everybody. Oh, well, lucky for us, we got what we got. Yeah. Steven Spielberg thought he's too damn cute to have him end up becoming the villain. No, and if Spielberg says it, then it's law. (sighs) Is it trivia time? Why, yes, Don. It would be trivia time. In our continuing pursuit to crown the master of movie trivia, I've prepared a series of questions related to the movie we are reviewing this episode. Please wait until I finish each question before answering. How many rules are there that one must abide by with Gizmo? Three. What's the name of the town that Billy lives in? Kingston Falls. What is Billy's father's occupation? Inventor. How much did Billy's father pay for Gizmo? 200. What color is the wrapping paper that Gizmo comes in? Red. How many gremlins popped off of Gizmo's back when he got wet? Five. No, zero. They were all mogwai. They weren't gremlins. That's a trick question. Doesn't matter. I call bullshit and shenanigans. Can I get a ruling? I agree. Okay, move on. Which invention did Randall give to the Chinese man at the end of the movie? It, it's the uh, cigarette machine, the, the the smoke. The smokinator, the smoke away. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called. Oh, the smokeless ashtray. The smokeless ashtray. And for the final question, what vehicle does Mr. Futterman drive? A car. Snowplow. 
Oh yeah, it is a snowplow. It's it's well, it's a backhoe. It, yeah, yeah. Would you call me? I think he refers to it as a snowplow. He does, he but does. I don't think it's technically. It's a not snow a snowplow. Yeah, but, but yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna still give you the point. Well, he got it, not me. You said snowplow. He said backhoe. Backhoe. After you said whoa, snowplow. whoa. Would you just call me? Anyway, with that, I think Don, I'm gonna have to give it to you that round. Give it to you real good. And with that, I think we are back at a tie for this season. So it's going to all come down to, I think, our final end of the year episode. Oh, I cannot fucking wait. Struggling inventor Randall Peltzer visits a Chinese antique store hoping to find a Christmas present for his son Billy. Inside, Randall encounters a small furry creature called a mogwai. The owner, Mr. Wing, refuses to sell Randall the creature, but his grandson secretly does, warning Randall to remember three important rules. Do not expose the mogwai to light, especially sunlight, which will kill it. Do not let it come in contact with water. And above all, never feed it after midnight. Randall returns home to Kingston Falls where he gives the mogwai to Billy as a pet. Billy works in a local bank but fears that his dog Barney will be put down by widowed miser Mrs. Deagle. Randall names the mogwai Gizmo and explains the three rules. Gizmo is friendly and docile, but when Billy's young friend Pete accidentally spills water over Gizmo, five more mogwai spawn from his back, a more troublemaking sort led by the aggressive stripe, named for the tut of fur on his head. Billy shows one of the mogwai to his former elementary school science teacher, Mr. Hansen, spawning another mogwai on whom Hansen experiments. Back at home, Stripe and his fellow mogwai trick Billy into feeding them after midnight by severing the power cord on his alarm clock. They form cocoons, as does Hansen's mogwai, which soon hatch, emerging as mischievous, dark green, reptilian monsters called gremlins, who then torture Gizmo and attack Billy's mother, Lynn, Hansen is killed by his gremlin. One thing that we didn't mention was who is the voice of Gizmo? Howie Mandel. Yeah, I did not know that for a long time. And I remember watching the movie and thinking, God, that voice sounds so much like the impression that Howie Mandel does of the little Bobby character he used to do. So bravo on him for kind of doing that cute little voice. Yeah, there you go. I had no idea. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so this movie opens up with a narration. Yep. And uh, we see Papa Peltzer, inventor extraordinaire. Well, he's the one that does the narration, too. Yes. And he goes into a Chinese antique shop. In Chinatown. Did you catch what the Cantonese on the outside of the shop said? I don't. No. I don't read Cantonese. Do you, Don? Not to start a conversation. Well, if my understanding is correct, it translated into gods and monsters. Oh, there you go. And if you looked at when he went into the shop, there was a lot of like mystical things all around, like monkey paws. and. Yeah, I got that impression when he walked in. So I almost um, felt it was like going into the basement in that uh, the cabin movie. Uh, maybe. I, I thought this one was a little bit more cheery. And uh, I like the guy who they got to play Mr. Wing and the whole interaction. And Peltzer's so American, right? Walking in there and trying to sell him the... The bathroom buddy. That's what it's called, the bathroom Did buddy. Did you catch what the kid was wearing? 
uh, with a baseball cap and a T-shirt. He was wearing the same type of cap that Short Round did in Temple of Doom. That was on purpose. Spielberg put that in. Of course he did. Because he's Steven fucking Spielberg. What did you guys think of the whole interaction with Pop getting the Mogwai? I was surprised that the kid was willing to sell to Mr. Peltzer the, the Mogwai. I didn't think that he'd go behind his, grand, his grandfather's back like that. And the kid even justifies it, right? He's all, we're broke. We need the money. Yeah. And so, yeah. And Pelter get Pelter gets the Mogwai. He also said Grandpa's crazy. Yes. Yes, he did. And so as he's walking away, the grandson's narration is a voiceover, right? And he's explaining us the three rules. And the first rule is no light. No bright lights. Especially no sunlight because it'll kill him. Uh, no water, even to drink. And I started thinking about it going, wow, that would fucking suck. And don't feed him after midnight. And my question was, is that Eastern or Pacific Standard Time? I was also thinking more along the lines of, what about daylight savings time? What it, how, how, does a, how does a gremlin, how does a mogwai know, you know, if you're on daylight savings time or not? Oh, wait, we're in Arizona. There is no daylight savings time. So you're safe there or Hawaii, right? But after that, the rest of the states... Well, that's assuming you've established if it's Eastern, Central, or Pacific. That's got to come first, right? How does the Mogwai know what time zone it's in? I was, I'm, we're on the same page. All right, buddy. That was the thing that came up in interviews with the director, the writer, some of the actors. They all agree of all the rules. That's the rule that did not make sense because as they put it, it's always midnight somewhere. And that makes logical sense. And it also says, don't feed them after midnight is that five minutes after midnight 10 minutes are you safe if you wait an hour how long after midnight are you free to feed them well fuck me i didn't even think about that but you were absolutely right good question totally agree so yeah that was the you one. know what it, that just dropped like two fucks for me so sorry gremlins you done fucked up well do you you know to help do you want me to tell you the origin of the mogwai i do have two versions of course you do. Of course you do. Okay, so the first origin, which was written by the person who did the book Gremlins, is that they are extraterrestrial beings that were created as peace ambassadors. But when they got to certain planets like Earth, that shit went wrong and they went crazy. So that was one origin that was written. The other one that was just redone, which I actually liked better, from the uh, new Gremlins cartoon, I believe that is on Disney or it's on Max. It's streaming on one of them right now. Uh, was that two Chinese gods of creation made a bet about humanity and whether or not humanity was responsible enough. So they created a mogwai to test humanity. One said that humanity could follow the rules. The other one said that humanity could not follow the rules. And the one that said they could not follow the rules won the bet. So that's where they said that the Mogwai came from. I totally got the second version out of that, you know, from the movie. That was very clearly put in the movie. Yeah. And so after the narration and we get the three rules. Uh, we get the credits. And immediately it says Steven Spielberg presents. Mm -hmm. And it gives us that Gremlins with the theme. And, and that's where I first noticed that it was Hill Valley or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then we get a, a little montage, a little one. Ever so brief. Mm -hmm. uh, Billy is trying to get to work and his car won't start. And then we get introduced to Mr. Flutterman and the town kind of sort of. Yeah. And, and the town racist, which one, Mr. Mr. Flutterman. Oh, because of the foreign cars. He hates everything foreign. Yeah. I, I, th I thought that too. 
And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of a It's a Wonderful Life montage or homage did you with catch, Billy running down the street. Did you catch that they even showed a clip of It's a Wonderful Life? Yes. And apparently that is a trademark of, I think, the, was of the writer, Chris Columbus, because in his Home Alone movies, he also shows clips of It's a Wonderful Life. And then we find out that Billy works at the bank. And his dog can be underneath his, his uh, station that he's working at. What the heck? I know he must have. He must be a really obedient dog. Yeah, and boy, he's got privileges. Pretty smart dog. Well, he got bamboozled by a bunch of fucking mogwai. How smart can he really be? We meet Mrs. Deagle. She comes in with a snowman head, and she she wants the dog. She she's somewhere across between the Wicked Witch of the West and Scrooge. I got that feeling too. I kept thinking, I want your little dog. Yeah, and the way she comes stomping down the sidewalk. I could just hear the... So, yeah, we know that she's not very nice, and she has it out for the dog, and she's kind of graphic about it, you know? Yeah. Uh, you better hope that someone else finds him, because if I find him, he's going to die slowly. Didn't she say she's going to put him in her oven or something? Some shit like that. It, it got pretty fucking dark. Yeah. And we also meet Kate. Phoebe Kate's character, and we can tell right away that there's a little blue, 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 blue between uh, Billy and Kate. And then we also meet Judge Reinhold's character, Gerald, and he comes in picture. And I'm, I'm immediately flashback to Fast Times at Richmond High because not only do we love Phoebe Kate's for that particular scene, but Judge Reinhold is in that same fucking scene. Yep. <laughs> he was supposed to have a much bigger part in this movie. He was supposed to have his own little storyline, too, working with Zach and Kate throughout the movie. Really? Uh, yeah, and they ended up cutting out all of his scenes. And so we have now met the town and most of our key players and Papa Pelter's coming home. Just before Dad comes home. We have mom working out in the kitchen, and we see all of his other little inventions. And it, it's a it, it's a very amusing thing how all of his inventions started out working, but they just don't. And the fact that mom is always so uh, glasses half full about all of his inventions. Well, you know, it worked. You know, for the first two weeks, and and she's still willing to try the different things that he brings home. That's what you call true support. And then from there, dad comes home. And we get to meet uh, Gizmo for the first time. No we gift for mom. What What's up with that? Well, I mean, he's going to give her a gift later. Yeah, because he had to give the gift early. Otherwise, Gizmo would die in the box. That's not where I was going, but you are 100% correct. So, yeah. What you guys think of the first introduction to, I mean, the first real reveal yeah, to... We hadn't really got to see him up until this point. They 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 kept it really, really quiet. Even when, I remember with the advertising and the posters, uh, when it was first coming out, they did not want to show what Gizmo or the Gremlins looked like. Right, back in the day when there was no internet. And so what did you guys think of this scene? I thought it worked fine, you know, having him come out and being all cute. I, I, I got to say that, you know, that was a very sophisticated looking puppet. Does it hold up today? You know, looking at it and actually comparing it to the second movie, uh, the face, the way the face looked, it didn't look very realistic back then. But I remember, for me, I bought right into it back then. Sure. But nowadays, I don't think it looks as good on screen. It looks like a puppet. Yeah, it does look like a puppet, but I think the facial expressions uh, still hold up and it looks pretty good. But yeah, I mean, he's cute, cuddly, and what's not to love about Gizmo? 
Dad tells them what the rules are. And, and they immediately break it with the bright lights. And and we have, uh, and it, I think, almost an instant connection that uh, that we get between Billy and Gizmo because they, they do that little harmonizing scene together. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have Pete show up. <laughs> this little Christmas tree walks into the house with a big Christmas tree. We Could you imagine wearing that motherfucker? No. Could you imagine having to deliver Christmas trees like that? No. I thought that was a great costume. Can you imagine, yeah, having to wear that on a Christmas tree lot? You know how many people you could scare? That'd be awesome. That would be funny. But it's little Corey Feldman. Did you catch what he said about the costume when he came into Billy's room? What's that? Uh, They were talking about he was going to leave the costume there and then tell his dad on the way home he got mugged by bikers. Oh, that's right. So that he would lose the costume. And then Billy's like, you can keep it here. And so this is where... uh, Billy introduces Pete to Gizmo. And did you notice in Billy's room what poster is on the bed every time we cut to the TV? No. I did not see it. The Road Warrior. Oh. So there you go. And Pete's looking at Gizmo and is all kind of shocked. And naturally. Dumb shit. uh, Pete spills the water. Gizmo multiplies. What did you guys think of this shit? That was was some crazy stuff. The bubbling on the back would look kind of creepy. Yeah. yeah, I'm like I thought. The, you know, if I was there, I would think the kid thing is melting. Yeah. So when Gizmo starts uh, firing off those little magwai, I noticed that the uh, camera angle is askew, and I got to say that the setup and the way that it looked, it it took me straight back to a movie from two years previous. I think it was two years, Creep Show. Oh yeah. Yeah. The the the, the crooked camera angle with the uh, slightly. Uh, um, off-color backdrop setting, it it reminded me a lot of of, of what I saw in Creep Show. Huh, interesting. I could think of a couple scenes I think in Creep Show that remind me of now that you bring it up. And so uh, Billy doesn't know what to do, and <laughs> Pete's like, "Can I keep one now?" I think they, from what I read, uh, the little balls that popped off, they use balloons to make them look like they're inflating and everything. Oh, sure. We get to see these five. New Mogwai, and Gizmo's all tuckered out. One has a mohawk. Uh, and that's Stripe, and he appears to be the leader. Everybody goes to sleep that night, but Billy wakes up a little later to, what is that sound? And eventually he comes to find Barney strung up in Christmas lights outside the house. Did you catch as Billy gets up, they panned over to Stripe, and he's got a little smile on his face? Yeah, because gremlins are dicks to dogs. Well, Mogwai. He's Mogwai at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay, but still, dick move. Well, according to you, they were going to eat the dog, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's fucked up, too. And so the next day... Billy takes one to school to show his teacher. What did you guys think of this bit? Well, I think we kind of sort of had to have something happen where we are... We're not just going to keep it to ourselves because, you know, what the heck is going on here? Sure, sure. He wants some answers. Yeah. And so they multiply Gizmo one more time. This is where my... Big question comes up because we know Gizmo spawned five. One of them got taken to the lab and that one got brought back home. So there were still five at home. There was the one in the lab that ended up turning into a gremlin and he escaped through a vent. Where did he go? Did he end up with all the rest of them or is he still off running around somewhere? No, he ended up with the rest of them. You think so? They never really showed him coming back into the group. Well, you don't know that because they all look the same. Yeah. So he, they very well could have. He could have been one of the carolers. We wouldn't yeah. know. So 
How come you didn't tell him about the three rules? Well, we're assuming he didn't. He must have because yeah. because later on, you know, we have uh, Mr. Hansen yeah. working at 2.20 in the morning. 2.20. And it's dark in the room. There's like one light on. It's just over the, the, the wall clock. Right. So right. maybe he did get told the rules, but I thought it should have come up. There's three rules you have to know. You would think, right? But, I mean, maybe Billy's excited. Who knows? What I'm thinking is, was it me or did Dr. Hansen look fucking evil when he was going to take the Mogwai's blood the and blood just the sample. way he's talking about him? And, oh, we have to experiment tomorrow. I got the feeling experiment he, would, on him. he was oh. one of those guys who would have no problem dissecting it. So then we cut back to Billy and... Billy and Kate, and we get to hear... Mr. Futterman go on about what gremlins are and how they're in everything and how they mess up everything and how they got into the planes when we were in World War II. Mm-hmm. Which is the real origin of gremlins. Do you believe in gremlins? Mm, no. Oh. What about you? No. What about you? Yes. Have you ever lost a fucking sock? Have you ever lost a fucking half-built Bronco Stadium? Yeah, I can't explain that part. That? Fucking gremlins, man. Uh, Kate and, and Billy make sure that Mr. Futterman walks home. Right. Right. And then she goes, and then she has a very depressing conversation about the holidays with Billy. If you say you hate Christmas, everybody thinks you're crazy. But undeterred, Billy still asks her out on a date. I mean, it's Phoebe fucking Kate's, man. (laughs) I think it's funny that, uh, Judd Reinhold had tried to ask her out on a date. She was like, nope. Um, She was waiting for Billy. Well, yeah, because Billy is the younger version of Judge Reinhold. Yeah. And so uh, Kate says yes. They plan on having a date, and then Billy goes home. And It's 11.35 at night. At least that's what the clock tells us. Mm-hmm. And the Mogwai are going crazy because they're fucking hungry. I already fed you. And so he looks at the clock, as he should. You know, he's taking it seriously. I guess I can still feed you. There was one thing that bothered me about that is if you looked at the clock, I think it said it was, even though it was, we find out later it was broken, it was still like 20, 30 minutes before midnight. Like, why risk it? Why think, you know, because they could take one of those drumsticks and just hide it in the box until after midnight or. Well, they could do that at five o'clock too. I know. So I don't think I would have risked it that close to midnight. Uh, so he goes down and gets this plate of chicken. Was a meter? Did that chicken look good? It was a full fucking plate of chicken. I, I actually I was, had chicken for dinner that night. Oh, did you? I was fucking hungry after watching that. Yeah. And uh, the Mogwai devour it. Except for Gizmo. It, it's a, and it's a, it's a really close-up shot, and they're messily eating. Yeah. And, and they're masticating, you know, loudly, and, and you got the slime going on. And as I'm watching it, I'm noticing that the frame rate sped up, and so it looks just a little bit off, kind of like stop motion probably. Um. But yeah, they eat the fucking chicken, except for Gizmo. And we go back to Mr. Hansen. Who leaves a fucking half-eaten sandwich on a counter? So maybe he didn't know the three rules, and that was weird too. And so, naturally, the little Mogwai eats the sandwich. And and this is just after we're shown 2.20 a.m., and he gets a hold of the sandwich. And then we go back to Billy, but it's still 11.35 on Billy's clock. And you're like... Oh. Yeah, yeah. And I think last night was the first time I put that together. Next morning, 
they wake up to find all of these cocoons. Mom, could you come up here, please? Did you feed them after midnight? Did you get an alien vibe from those cocoons? Instantly. How could you not? Yeah. Had had to have been uh, some sort of inspiration. Mm -hmm. Had to have been. There were a lot of on-purpose call-outs to different movies in this movie. So he grabs his clock, and he and we find that the that the wire's been frayed. It's no longer plugged in. It's just like, <gasps> wah, wah. This is why you should have had a digital clock. Mom, what's going on here? So he heads to school. Mr. Hansen tells him, this is the pupil stage. So the Mogwai, they're going to come out of their cocoons. And, you know, they do that at the classroom, at the house. And Hansen, he calls Billy... It just hatched. And Gizmo is all kinds of scared. Yeah. He's hiding in that helmet. Uh, And this is where uh, the gremlins start to fuck shit up. Yeah. Mr. Hansen tries to coax it out with a candy bar from underneath the desk. And he gets killed. You knew that was coming. Yeah, it chomped his hand. Yeah. Uh, Now, here's my thought. When mom comes into the kitchen... The first thing she does is she turns on the blender and kills the first gremlin, even before one of them has even attacked her or threatened her. So my thought was, were they just defending themselves? Oh, for fuck's sakes. Are you kidding me? She comes in, and the first thing she does is kill one. Did you did you get a look at that? Look. Wait. So we're going to judge look. it by its looks? Yes. That fucking thing? Yes. 100% we fucking are. This thing comes into my fucking kitchen. I'm not going to ask it how it's doing. I'm not going to ask it if it's fucking hungry. I'm going to fucking terminate it. You're going to turn the blender on. Yes. And she did get a phone call oh so briefly where Billy said, get out of the house. Get out of the fucking house. Were they defending themselves? I swear he does it just to rile me up. Well, she killed him first. She attacked first. Yeah, and she fucking should have in this instance. Yes. Human beings, not so much. Talk. Let's talk this shit out. Fucking gremlins die. Yeah. Okay. First three, I think she, I mean, she's badass. She took I, out three right away. Well, and, and she also got to see those pods, right? And she hears all kinds of strange sounds coming out upstairs. And so, you know, the fact that she's savvy enough, you know, with what all those strange sounds are, she decides to grab a knife. And she probably fucking saw Alien because that was in 79. Well, she went to town on one of them with that knife. I would have too. It's yeah. like, I hate to be a spider in that house. My favorite kill from the mom is the microwave, though. The microwave blowing them up? Yeah, the microwave is my favorite one. What about you guys? No, oh, that was a good one. I I, I don't know. I kind of lean towards the blender because it's the mess it made. Yeah, great kill. Great kill. But I I, I still go with the microwave. Yeah. And so uh, she's kind of holding her own, uh, but then she gets jumped because of weasel fucking gremlin sitting in the fucking Christmas tree. Yeah, she was doing good. You know, that other gremlin flinging a dozen plates or something like that. And she, you know, she she has a tray that she's holding up. Mom's a badass. Yeah. She is. Yeah. And so uh, this fucking gremlin, is it Stripe? It might be Stripe. Uh, trying to choke mom out. And Billy comes home. No, it was a different one because Billy comes home and, and basically gets the sword and knocks that one into the fire. Oh, that's right. He fucking decapitates and it. I You're think right. Stripe was outside the window or something. Something. But he sees it. Yeah. And he takes off. Yeah. It, the other fun thing was when mom decided to continue on after her uh, slaughter that she did in the kitchen. Now she's got two knives. Let 
Lynn and Billy are able to kill off the gremlins except for Stripe, who escapes to a local YMCA. There, Stripe jumps into the swimming pool, spawning an army of gremlins who wreak havoc in Kingston Falls. Many people are injured or outright killed by the gremlins' rampage, including Mrs. Deagle. Billy reports this to the police, but they prove to be no help as they don't believe his story even after he shows them Gizmo. As Billy rescues his girlfriend Kate, they hide in a now-abandoned bank where Kate reveals to Billy and Gizmo why she hates Christmas. When she was nine years old, her father went missing on Christmas Eve and didn't come home on Christmas Day either. Several days later, he was found dead in their chimney while dressed as Santa Claus. Planning to surprise her and her mother, he had accidentally slipped and broken his neck while climbing down the chimney. Still suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, Kate confesses this is how she discovered the truth about Santa Claus. Yeah, pretty fucking depressing. And then she has all these people die around her on fucking Christmas again. Thanks, Gremlins. What truth are they talking about? What do you mean? What truth did she learn about Santa Claus? Well, we'll talk about that in a bit, bud. Don't don't look at me with those eyes. And wait a minute. Aren't you fucking Jewish? Yeah. Do you believe in Santa Claus? I could. Okay. So Billy and Mom fend off, and uh, Stripe gets away. So they go hunting him. Billy does. And I thought this was absolutely fucking brilliant on Stripe's part. Oh, yeah. But I have another question. Okay. Do the three rules apply to the gremlins? We know that sunlight kills them because, spoiler alert, that's how Stripe gets it. We know that water multiplies them. What happens if they eat after midnight? Do they go into another cocoon and come out even bigger? No, I think that rule just gets dropped because they've already become the gremlin. Well, that's inconsistent, and I don't like that. I don't accept that. Another strike against this movie. Fuck me. It just keeps going. We got to quit doing this, dude. We're, we're, uh, We're killing my uh, childhood. I kept thinking was a drop of water could spawn like on Gizmo. You know, he got five drops on him, spawn five uh, other Mogwai. How much water was in that pool? I mean, you'd think there'd be, you know, they said like a thousand maybe spawned. I thought there'd be a whole lot more than that. Uh, maybe, but we know that there are enough to ocup- occupy a movie theater. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was a lot. I'm curious. We saw how uncomfortable it was for for the five to come off the back. How uncomfortable would Stripe have to be to have that many come off of him? Pretty fucking uncomfortable, I would imagine. Why well, didn't it kill him? Well, that and everyone that spawns in the water would spawn more. We don't know how quickly they would spawn after yeah. they have spawned. That makes logical sense, but so does that. Yeah. So, I, you know, we got to play fast and loose with the rules here. And so now we kind of get a montage of mayhem. Well, what would you think of, you know, there, were, there was no CGI in this movie. There was some stop motion, but mostly puppetry. What would you think of that scene where we see Stripe kind of walking up the street and all of a sudden you see the stop motion of, you know, a thousand behind him? A little hokey. Dated. Uh, thank you. That's probably a better word. A little dated. Uh, out of all of the scenes where they were wreaking havoc, a couple stood out to me. Uh, the mailbox gag, clearly a Steven Spielberg thing. I Only love- in a Spielberg movie would you throw the letter in and then it would throw out. Well, I love forth, that the priest forth. sees that there's something wrong with the mailbox and he's like, why don't you go ahead and try the mailbox to the next guy? Yeah, and the next guy gets taken. Yeah. So 
we yeah we also have a death with the backhoe crashing into the house. We have the traffic signals causing car accidents. Oh, there's your gremlins. Yeah. What'd you think of the Deagle death? When you watch it, it's kind of humorous. And then you think about it and you're like, that's really fucking dark. But what I was thinking when I was watching it last night was that house, the proportions didn't work with the amount of time it took her to get up the stairs. It looked like she was going up multiple floors and it's only one story up and she just flies right out the fucking window. Mm-hmm. It just didn't make sense to me. Funny gag, but that's what I thought. What do you think? I just especially like the Christmas carolers at her front door with them singing and everything. That was just funny. But yeah, that I thought was the most brutal of those deaths. Sure. What about you? I thought it looked ridiculous. And so mayhem is happening all over the town and Billy uh, goes to the police. Well, Billy's already gone to the police by this point because I thought he goes to get Kate after the police. Oh yeah. He, no, it was before because the police haven't found Miss Deagle yet. And okay. And they leave the house because they're answering a, a call. And then on the way to that call, that's when they get Mrs. Deagle dumped in front of them. Right, right. And then right after that, then you get to see the Santa Claus covered in a bunch of gremlins. What the hell is that? And, you know, at, at this point, I was kind of thinking, shouldn't there be a little bit more blood? You know, if, if this is a dark comedy like this, we should have a little bit of gore. Why can't we have gore in 1984? Anybody? Anybody? Because then it would be rated R. There you go. One of the things that happens, actually, I think a little bit before this, and one thing I wanted to mention, uh, was earlier on, the mother gets a call from Randall, who's off at you know an invention con- convention or something. And did you catch some of the things that were happening in the background? Now, I only saw that robot. Robbie saw Robbie the, the robot? robot? Yeah. That was it. In the background, I, I was going to mention this earlier, was the time machine from, uh, I forget what movie, I think it was called The Time Machine. Oh, yeah? It uh, was in the background. And did you notice that when they panned away and then panned back, it had disappeared? No. I didn't it had gone through time. Interesting. Interesting. So the ineptness of the police officers are also laid bare when the Santa is begging for help. And they're just sitting there in the car, and they're they're paralyzed with fear. It's like, you guys are worthless. Yeah, didn't one of the cops keep saying, uh, why, why are we not leaving? We get a brief shot of Pete fending off the gremlins with a slingshot. You know, they're climbing up the tree, and he, and he's outside the window. And cuts the Christmas lights. The Christmas fucking lights. scissors. Yeah, why didn't he get electrocuted? Yeah, he's lucky he didn't get his ass shocked. Mm-hmm. So it even sparked. Yeah. And then uh, we find that the, uh, the bar is open. Dory's Tavern. And for another weird reason, Kate's serving him. Yeah. Well, this, I thought, of the movie... Uh, this was the most fun scene, the whole bar scene with everything going on. It was very campy, very hokey, but I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of a lot of fun. That's funny that you say that because I thought this scene went on for five minutes too long. Yeah. I thought this scene marked in where the movie takes a downturn because it stops It stops with um, with being a horror movie, if you will, and instead it just turns into a movie for 10-year-olds. I, from this point on, I'm I'm halfway mm. expecting, maybe disappointed, how come there wasn't some sort of a fart joke with one of them lighting the other's fart on fire and having them blast through the room? That was pretty much the only thing that was left missing, you know, from all of these goofy little antics. The card scene, when Stripe's playing cards and he just ultimately shoots the, 
the guy? You knew he was going to shoot him? Yeah. Why did we hold on that scene for two minutes? I don't know. I got the impression that the, either the writer or the director were going for some kind of metaphor for the darker side of humanity. They were showing all like these bad points of you know, the way humanity is. Because the whole movie is supposed to be a big analogy for our abuses of nature and things like that. And so I got the impression that we're seeing, you know, the sins of playing poker and flashing people and drinking and all of that. Just, I thought that the whole scene was all about that. Well, whatever it was about is fine. It just went on for five minutes too long, in my opinion. Kate does discover that they don't like light. And so then from there, she grabs the camera, the Polaroid, and she starts using it like a gun. But it it allows her to escape. Just as Billy's getting there. Yep. And then, of course, the car won't fucking start. I love how it starts perfectly when he needs it to, but then he gets there again and it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, and he needs it to do to start then, too, and it doesn't. So, fuck that car. You know, That's and, what I'm saying. And there's a moment in here where Kate says, you know, where did they come from? And Billy, what does he say? They're gremlins, Kate, just like, you know, Fetterman said. Yeah. Yeah, I love when she gets in the car and almost sits on Gizmo, and she's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is the first time she gets to meet yeah, Gizmo. I'm surprised, right? yeah, he didn't say, well, they all came from him. Yeah. So they get out, and they take off, and they got to run through town and find somewhere safe, and uh, they go into the bank. Hey, I know what, audience. Let's make this movie just a wee bit darker. What did you guys think of this whole story from Kate? Yeah, that was it was a macabre story. Yeah. And way out of left field. They yeah. they really debated cutting that out of the scene out of the movie. Uh and I kind of wish they did cuz it wasn't really needed. Uh but if you've ever watched the second Gremlins, they actually make fun of that scene. They they make her have like a problem with Easter or something. Sure. I like how she talked about the uh the first thing she noticed was the bad smell coming from the chimney. Yeah. That would just be horrible. Yeah. Billy and Kate discovered that the town has fallen silent and the gremlins are watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarves in the local theater. They set off a natural gas explosion incinerating all of the gremlins except for Stripe, who left to commandeer more candy at a Montgomery Ward store across the street. As morning approaches, they follow Stripe into the department store where Stripe attempts to use a fountain to spawn more gremlins. Gizmo opens a skylight, exposing Stripe to sunlight killing him as the local news reports on the day's mysterious tragedies mr wing reclaims gizmo at the peltzer home he scolds the peltzer for their negligence and criticizes western society for its carelessness with nature however as he turns to leave gizmo having bonded with billy bids the young man goodbye a touched mr wing then concedes that billy may be ready one day and until then gizmo will be waiting Roll credits. So we see dad, dad is on his way home now and he's going to be showing up. After that, we have Billy and Kate head out and they survey all the carnage that has been wrought by these gremlins running amok. And I thought this was kind of smarter, the filmmakers, right? Uh, it's, it's getting to be sunlight. And so immediately I'm thinking vampire 
And what do they do? They go inside and where and what better place to go than a movie fucking theater? I was struck how well the the gremlins were able to instantly operate things. Well, that they understood how everything worked um, so quickly. Yes. However, the dumb fuck started with real four. All right. So if you're going to start a movie, you got to start with real one. So obviously they can't read. Well, one of the things, the whole mechanical thing, I think goes back to their urban legend of World War II, where that's what they did. They got into mechanical things and fucked them up. So they had a mechanical understanding. So they have a mechanical understanding. They just can't fucking read. So there yeah. you go. Fucking so, gremlins. Well, they, they read Cantonese. <laughs> So they, so they understand to go into the theater and everybody's going to sit down and wait for the movie to start. Because Stripe said so, yes. Mm-hmm. He's the alpha gremlin. And so naturally, Billy and Kate and Gizmo make their way into the movie theater. And miraculously, Kate knows exactly where to find the uh, boiler room. And she knows exactly how to blow everything up. I got the impression she's had a job everywhere in that town. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Oh, and they also kiss. Yes. Yes, they finally get their kiss. So, yeah, so the natural gas explosion. And that, that was funny that, that she was the one that knew where to go. Yeah. And so Billy hits the button. The gas is being uh, released. They escape. And in the meantime, Stripe decides he's hungry and there's not enough candy. So he wants some yum-yums. Yeah, he's got to leave. And he sees Montgomery Ward. And you're thinking, oh, fuck, now what, right? And Billy and Kate and Gizmo run out. The theater explodes. They think they've won the day. But as per any good chase movie, there's got to be one more. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, (laughs) Billy says, go turn on the lights. Why would she know where the lights are? I think you just kind of have a feel for it. Because she once worked in that department store. And And she knew where the boiler room was. That's true. So Kate's a jack of all trades. And so uh, as she's you know turning on all the lights, what do you think of uh, Gizmo and the car? I thought it was cute. I thought you had to have it. And then we have the big fight with Billy and Stripe. He, that, has, he has a crossbow. He knows how to work a crossbow. It's mechanical. We'll chalk it up to that. He just doesn't know how to and read. How hard did he throw those saw blades? Pretty fucking hard if they're going through the drywall. Yeah, halfway into the drywall. Yeah. Yeah. Gremlins are strong fuckers. Yeah. And the chainsaw, that was actually a call out to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Which is horseshit because a chainsaw should have just went right through that baseball bat. Mm-hmm. So this is a cheaply made piece of crap chainsaw. I don't know. I think it's still I, I still think it goes through that fucking bat pretty yeah. easily. I thought so too. I did like, and I don't know, it makes me laugh every time I see it, when the bright light does come on, lights come on, and Stripe falls on his back, and the chainsaw drags him away. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know why, but that one makes me laugh every time. I chuckled. Until it, it, it goes away with enough force to unplug itself. Mm-hmm. Dad and Barney show up now, and now they're converging on Spike. And so uh, Stripe smartly makes his way to a fountain. He's going to start to Sp- fucking respawn. Spike. And Stripe grabs a gun, too. Which I thought was cute. But Gizmo smartly gets the skylight open. And this this scene, I wonder how many vampire movies after Gremlins came out, how many of them took this as uh, like a blueprint or something. Because this is very reminiscent to a lot of vampire movies I've seen. 
originally in the script, it was supposed to be Billy who pulled the curtain down, or it was going to be Billy and Gizmo, because originally Dante, he wanted the hero of the movie to be Billy, but it was Steven Spielberg who came along and said, no, you got to make Gizmo the hero. And if Spielberg says Gizmo's the hero, then Gizmo's the fucking hero, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what'd you guys think of this practical effect of Stripe uh, melting and disappearing? I thought it worked well. I kept worrying, though, at the end, if the dog was going to eat the goop. Oh. <laughs> There's a possibility. There you go. I never once thought that, but now that you mention it. Yeah, he, the way he kept looking at it, and I was like, oh, he's going to eat the goop. It was fucking gross. And then the skeleton was skeletal, and then it got limp, and then it got noodly, and then it just dissipated. Well, the, It was fucking gross. It was a brilliant effect. When Spike's eyes went all white, that's what really creeped yeah, me out. Yeah. And so Stripe is dead. And the day is saved, and we go back to the house, and Mr. Wing shows up. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you fucking Westerners. Yeah, fucked it all up. You fucked it all up. Absolutely. Watching the news, and, he, and he, 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 I'm sure he just immediately know. And he probably gave a big old heavy sigh. And so he, uh, he takes Gizmo back, but... Gizmo wants to say something to Billy, and he says bye-bye. And yeah, it, it was a three-second goodbye. Yeah. It, it, oh, he wants to say something to you. Bye. And then, oh, and then oh. He's, and he's done, just like that. It's like right. right. Touching. Well, they were having their E.T. moment. A little bit. A little bit. And Randall, he ends with the dialogue, and he just, you know, he goes on a little bit about gremlins. That it just might be a gremlin in your house. Yeah. One thing that I didn't catch until I read it. Have you ever seen the movie The Howling? Long, long time ago. Long time. Uh, I guess that was another movie that Joe Dante had, I believe he had directed, or was it Chris that had written it? Uh, Joe Dante directed it. Okay. Uh, the scene with the reporter reporting on the whole situation, that was the same guy who played a reporter in The Howling playing the same character. So he was a callback to The Howling. Oh, well, there you go. And that was Gremlins. So back, going back to the scene where Stripe spawned all the new Gremlins and we had that stop motion of him coming down the street, did it remind you of the orcs marching to Battle of Helm's Deep? Oh, for fuck's sakes. And now it's time for John's... Moment. This is the point in our podcast where I compare the movie we are currently reviewing to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. Let's just start off with Billy is Frodo. Billy is the one on the journey that he reluctantly accepts. From the moment Gizmo comes into his life, his life is never the same. It's Billy who has to venture forth to make things right. Billy is also our Aragorn. He's the reluctant leader and he has to make command decisions for the greater well-being of everyone else. Kate would be our Samwise. She's Billy's sidekick who stands by him and demonstrates resourcefulness and bravery in the face of danger. I chose Mr. Wing for Gandalf. It's his wisdom that should have guided our heroes even though they basically ignored it or at least didn't take it as seriously as they should have. 
And he's a man with a mystical background, much like Gandalf. Pete, he's our Legolas. Pete is a good friend to Billy, and just like the elves, is closer to nature with his job at the tree lot and his tree costume. He also shows he's good with projectile weapons while using his slingshot. Murray Futterman? Well, I chose him for Gimli. He's cranky, prejudiced, but loyal. He is also a supporter of Billy on his journey. That makes our fellowship Billy, Kate, Mr. Wing, Pete, and Mr. Futterman. Billy's father, Randall, is Isildur, Aragorn's great-great-great-great-grandpa. He's the one who cut the ring off of Sauron's hand during the War of the Last Alliance. But he refused to destroy the ring and thereby allowed Sauron and its evil to endure in Middle-earth. Like him, Randall thought he was doing what was for the greater good. The greater good. But instead, inadvertently brought danger into his kingdom. Frances Lee, Billy's mother. Well, I chose her for Eowyn. Like Eowyn, she initially comes off as meek, but later she shows off her combat prowess. I'd like to say Mrs. Deagle is our Sauron, but while she's a nasty old woman, she isn't the big bad of the movie. She is, though, very selfish and uncaring. If this was a comparison between Gremlins and A Christmas Carol, she'd be our Scrooge. Her selfishness reminded me of a different character. She reminded me more of Gollum, with her precious being her wealth and her control. Sauron has to go to the big bad of the movie. The one who causes all the peril our heroes are forced to face. So in this case of Gremlins, that would go to Stripe. Even though he's a byproduct of Gizmo, he's still the one who raises an army and just about destroys Billy's world. The other gremlins would be his orc army. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? In gremlins, the one ring would be represented by Gizmo. Just like the ring, both have a potential to be used for good, but eventually bad comes along. In this case, or in the case of the ring, the more folks that use it or even are around it, the more corrupted they become. Gizmo, while not bad himself, has the potential to spawn bad things, and chaos soon follows. Billy, like his father, both believed they could be good caretakers for Gizmo, following the rules. But in the end, rules are broken and evil springs forth. And while Gizmo isn't destroyed at the end like the ring is in Mount Doom, he is taken back by Mr. Wing in a symbolic casting-off type gesture. And there you have it, my comparison of Gremlins to Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. All right, what do you think? Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Um, I like Gizmo as the ring. I'm not going to lie. I thought that was okay. Uh, you get a holiday B- minus from me, my friend. I'll take a B from you any day. Yeah, you will. I th- I think I'm going to go the same route as well. B minus. There you go. Now take it and say thank you. Thank you. And that was John's. My precious. Moment. 
All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick, John. You ready to rate this flick? You don't have to get me wet to see what pops out of me. (laughs) Bravo, sir. Bravo. Hey, Professor, how do we rate our movies? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. A one fuck movie is a movie where you watch it and you're, you know, I'm never going to watch that again. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is you get done watching it and you're like, oh, for shit's sake. What the hell? Why did you make me watch this? I want one hour and 46 minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right there, comic book guy. This was your pick, your review. Before I go, Don, would you like to predict what my rating will be? You are going to give Gremlins... Definitely in the fours. You're going to give Gremlins four fucks. Four fucks? Final answer? Final answer, sir. Okay. Gremlins is an unconventional Christmas movie that elevates holiday cinema. It combines holiday cheer with mischievous mayhem. The adorable gizmo embodies the spirit of Christmas gifts, while the Gremlins represent the chaotic aftermath of holiday indulgence. Director Joel Dante blends horror, comedy, and fest and the festive spirit in a way that is as enchanting as a frosted Christmas cookie. Despite the havoc, the underlying message to respect and care for our gifts, much like our relationships, is a timeless Christmas lesson. The film is visually engaging, the puppetry and effects are very 80s, and the narrative is campy but fun. The acting gremlins, well, that isn't the greatest. And it's hard to say if this movie holds up well compared to dark comedy movies of today. But overall, it's a fun watch with new elements to catch every rewatch. Is it my favorite go-to Christmas movie? No, not even my favorite dark comedy slash horror flick. But it's definitely a fun movie to revisit from time to time. So being that I am so full of Christmas cheer... I'm giving Gremlins, well, whatever Don said. Just kidding. I actually have written down four fucks. Bam! What's my fucking batting average now there, guy? You'll find out in two more movies. Oh, okay. You got to do the, okay. All right. All right, math guy. Me or you, I'll sir? Go. Yeah? No. You, you go first. Oh, nicely played. Gremlins, 1984. You know, going back and thinking about it, Gremlins was always fun, and it was one of those movies that you could watch at any time. Uh, It had been, gosh, many moons since I had watched Gremlins, and going back and watching it last night as part of our Christmas holiday uh, segment, I thought to myself, the storytelling is very solid. The movie is made uh, very well. You can see Spielberg's hand in it. You can see Joe Dante's direction. Jerry Goldsmith's score is always fun. Is it a perfect movie? Not by any means. I think that there is a point where the movie drags a little bit, and we talked about it in the bar scene. And like we said, some of the uh, some of the stop motion is a little dated and can take you out of it for a brief moment. Does that affect the effectiveness of the story? Eh, Not to me, not in this case. Is Gremlins on my top Christmas movies? No. Is it in the top 10? Probably not. 
But is it a fun movie? Sure. Did Spielberg make it? Yes. Um, and so for those reasons, I'm giving Gremlins 3.75 fucks. I guess that leaves me, huh? Gremlins. It had been a long time since I'd seen the movie. And I remember seeing the movie in the theater. Me and my two buddies, we are at the theater. And my my one of my buddies, EJ, he says, come on, we get we got to see Ghostbusters. And my other buddy, Mike, is like, no, let's do Gremlins. And so back and forth, back and forth. And then finally, Mike went out. And so we went and saw Gremlins. And then right after we got out of the theater, ah, that was pretty good. Now let's go see Ghostbusters. And we immediately got right back into the theater and we went and watched Ghostbusters. Hands down, we, we all thought Ghostbusters was the big movie. that, And it definitely beat out Gremlins. I was surprised looking at the movie at how well it had done in the box office and the stiff competition that it was up against. And the fact that it was such a big summer of movies that this movie came out in. And the, the dollar amount that it made is staggering, you know, for an 11 million budget. And so it was super, super, super popular. And I, uh, and I enjoyed the movie in, in the theater. And, and when I watched it a couple more times after that, yeah, that's a pretty good movie. Now I'm a middle-aged man and I'm watching it by myself. And I get done watching it and it's, jeez, oh, man, I don't know, you know, the music's good. The sound effects are good. And you know, the, 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 the animatronics are, 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 they're flashy. They look, they look pretty darn good. And the fact that they had to do that on all these little critters like this, but I come back to, you know, how is it that they're able to operate everything? How is it that they are only focused on these cheap laughs for, you know, like 10 year old boys. And in the end, you know, I, I was definitely crestfallen after, you know, the movie is done. It's like, I don't know if I'm ever going to watch this again. And it's strange that I have a movie that uh, I have a fond recollection for in general and how nostalgia will certainly skewer and uh, have a, an opinion stay, I, I don't want to say artificially high, but for lack of a better way, it keeps it artificially high. Somebody who sees a beloved movie that is a lot younger and you say, oh, you're going to love this movie. And they watch it go, no, that movie is, you know, that happens. And so I, I feel like that's kind of sort of what happened to me. And in the end, the characters, they're okay. And all of the, all of the cast in general, the only person that really stuck out to me was Phoebe Cates. Outside of that, nobody else is that memorable to me. Uh, talent wise, the characters are, I, I think are, uh, they're Okay. The, uh, the Mr. Futterman, you know, explaining what gremlins are and and that gives us license to believe everything that those gremlins are doing because, you know, Mr. Futterman, he he told us that they, they get into everything. They mess everything up. But I, I just I don't know. In the end, I, I'm looking at the movie and is is lovable as Magui. You know, the, the Mogwai are specifically, you know, the only one that we're supposed to love courtesy of Steven Spielberg. That's where I feel like Steven Spielberg had the biggest play in this movie because Steven Spielberg's just a big kid. And, and he loves the, 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 you know, the wonder and the fantasy and the joy of, of a science fiction story. I'm giving this movie, well, 1.75 fucks. 
I'm sorry. Did you just say 1.75 fucks? 1.75 fucks. With 1.75 fucks from Ken, 3.75 fucks from me, and 4 fucks from the comic book guy, that gives Gremlins an average of 3.2 fucks, which puts it in the 21st spot, tied with Ratatouille, Galaxy Quest, Red Dawn, and The Last Samurai. It is slightly better than Flash Gordon, The Untouchables, The Wolf of Wall Street, Love Actually, and The Running Man. And slightly worse than Robocop, Roadhouse, Chef, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, and Dr. Sleep. I just want to point out that he said that Phoebe Cates stuck out for him in this movie. I think I stuck out for Phoebe Cates. You beat me by half a second. So... Ken, given your guidelines of what makes a movie a Christmas movie, would you say that Gremlins falls into those guidelines? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. You know, you have, it, it takes place at Christmas. There's Christmas gifts. There, there. You have a Santa Claus. So, you know, there's the first two. And then the third one is, you know, you have a, you know, you have fear. So yeah, Absolutely. One of the things I tried to do special this week is I reached out to Zach Galligan and asked him that question. Does he feel that Gremlins is or is not a Christmas movie? This is the answer that he sent me. Is Gremlins a Christmas movie or not? And the answer is actually pretty clear. And that is that after 40 years, Gremlins has morphed into and become a Christmas movie. Was it intended to be a Christmas movie? I don't believe so. I think Christmas was just the backdrop. But now, after decades of being shown every Christmas, all the time, it's gone into the canon along with A Christmas Story and Elf and other Home Alone and other Christmas movies. So yes, Gremlins is indeed a Christmas movie and a pretty darn good one, Ken. But you'll come to your senses eventually. Or you won't. And you'll be that guy. And thank you, Zach, for that wonderful response. There you go. I love it. All right. That is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we're going to be reviewing next, please check out the website. Speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? Well, they can always find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we go ahead and post all of our podcasts. Uh, we post all of our show notes, anything we can else we can fit into that site. There's also a place on there where you can go ahead and submit a movie you would like us to review next. And as Don mentioned at the early or at the beginning of the show, we are sadly lacking holiday movies. So submit your favorite holiday themed movie so we can review that coming up. You can also find us at all of social media or any place that hosts podcasts. All right. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank everyone else who has helped the three guys reach 50,000 downloads. And without you guys, that wouldn't be possible. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you. And thank you. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening, and happy holidays. That's a story. 
So if your air conditioner goes on the fritz or your washing machine blows up or your video recorder conks out, before you call the repairman, turn on all the lights, check all the closets and cupboards, look under all the beds, because you never can tell. There just might be a gremlin in your house. I have no idea why I picked this movie. Can I just say that? You just did. Why aren't you recording this? I am. I've been recording ever since he said, do you want to know the origin of the Mogwai? Because that, in my head, should have been, like, the first stinger. Right. But he blew his wad too quick, and so here we are. <laughs> Which makes for a good stinger. All right, you clowns ready to go? Fire it up, bitch. All right. I ordered the Blue Ray, the Blue Ray, a week ago, and I've been waiting every fucking day for it to show up for Violent Night. Mm-hmm. God, there's so many things I could say to that, but I will just say this: I like the extra stuff. It's at least it's Blu-ray. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, it tonight's episode is our third episode in our tonight. You want to stop with the fucking papers, there, guy? Listeners, he is flipping me off. Tonight is the third night of our Tonight is the third night of our holiday extravaganza and tonight we are reviewing and to, you guys fucking suck I hate you all the holiday classic Gremlins and I also like them from License to Drive but that's a guilty pleasure That would be a guilty pleasure <laughs> Yeah no Frank Welker who's that you got to know who that is Oh I know who it is he is very famous for doing lots of voices. He's one of the most famous voice actors out there, and he especially does someone that's near and dear to, I think, both of our hearts. Megatron? Optimus Prime. He does not do Optimus Prime. Frank Wecker does Optimus Prime, doesn't he? Nope. You sure? Look at my face. Do I look sure? Okay. Do you want to know who does Optimus Prime? Who does Optimus Prime? Peter Cullen. You're right. It is Peter Cullen. You can't drop your mic. It's on a stand. <sighs> Fuck me. I don't know why, but I always like the flashing gremlin. Of course you do, you fucking pervert. Speaking of the flashing gremlin, you got one? I got an amazing one. Oh, do you really? One because of my best ones. Because I've been trying to think, and I, admittedly, folks, I don't have one this week. So it's, well, up, to, it's up to the professor and to the comic book guy. And since the professor always drops a rare nugget on us, professor, you got a porn name for this one? No. God bless America. I don't know if you're prepared for this one. All right. Gremlins, gremlins, gremlins. I'm so excited. Blumpkins. Blumpkins? What's that? What is that? Well, I actually looked up the definition of what a blumpkin is. Isn't that where you take a shit in the tank? No. Uh, you're thinking oh, no, of no, no, Decker. No, yes. The act of performing fellatio while being while the recipient is defecating in the toilet. Yes. I've never even heard of that. A, gross. We're all about B, education here at, at Three Guys. Three yeah, we, we try to educate as much as we can. Um, so Blumpkins is my... Pet. Yeah, I, I don't even know how to comment to that, so I'm going to say you win. All right, may all of your uh, days and nights be filled with happiness. All right, fuck off. Good night. <laughs>